Good morning, everybody. We are here on the podcast for River Rock Baptist Church. So River Rock Baptist, walk in the word. Glad to see everybody this morning. See everybody here, everybody. Well, glad you're with us this morning. Hope everybody's doing well. We are in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 13 through 17. Now that's going to be today and tomorrow. So I hope you're ready for all of that. Here we go. <clears throat> These verses of scripture that we're into now are like a breath of fresh air. In the previous verses that we've seen, we see where there are uh, some terrifying things. Uh, mainly, it's about the coming of the Antichrist. Not only that, but it's the coming of the Antichrist followed by what's going to take place during the tribulation. Okay? Uh, verse 13, though, begins with a contrast. And it's a contrasting conjunction. And it's connecting something. And it gives us a contrast between what's previously been said and what's going to be said now. So he says, but we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren. Now, that's in contrast to what he's previously said. In the previous verses of this chapter, he's been talking about the Great Tribulation, and we talked about that. So now he's turning the page, okay? He's turning the corner, and he comes to a, a very positive truth about what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ and the wonder of our salvation. So we're moving from the Antichrist to Christ, okay? So he moves us to the, <clears throat> to the work of Christ. These verses make a transition in the practical teaching uh, here in chapter 3. And it's important for us to understand that the Christian life can be lived to its fullest only when we understand this truth of salvation. Somebody said that these verses constitute a system of theology. So it's theology in, in miniature. So here you have in these verses of Scripture this beautiful picture of the vast scope of our salvation. Now, we're going to take a look at these verses, and there are some words for salvation. So that's point number one, words of salvation. In verses 13 and 14, he uses words like beloved, chosen, sanctification, belief, the gospel, glory, right? So he's using all of these, and these are words that all have to do with salvation. They describe for us just how wonderful salvation is. So when you look at these words, you find that they deal with not only God's side to salvation, but they also deal with man's side. So when you study the Bible, you find salvation is presented from two perspectives. Well, you say, well, what are those perspectives? You know, I'm glad you asked. You guys ask great questions. Sometimes you will read verses that deal with God's side of salvation. That is divine, uh, divine sovereignty. <clears throat> and at other times, you're going to read verses and find that they deal with man's side of salvation. Now, that's human responsibility. So how do you reconcile the two? How can we reconcile the fact of divine sovereignty that God chose us from eternity and human responsibility that the Bible commands us to repent and believe the gospel? Now, 
I don't try to reconcile them. When I come to the Bible, I am aware of the fact that there, there are things that my finite mind have a hard time understanding about a divine mind of God. Now, I don't expect to be able to understand everything in the Bible. Now, do I accept the things I don't understand? Of course I do. I accept a lot of things I don't understand. And I've mentioned in our congregation before, I don't understand electricity. I don't understand what makes electricity do what it does. But the thing is, I don't have to put my fingers in a socket to know that electricity is in a socket plug. Well, most of the time. I accept a lot of things I don't understand and that I cannot reconcile in my finite understanding. I don't understand how a brown cow can eat green grass, give white milk, yellow butter. But I like milk and I like butter. And I like to eat cows when they're cooked medium rare. <laughs> we accept a lot of things we do not understand. And it's, it's not my responsibility to have all the answers. It's not my responsibility to figure out everything in God's Word. It's my responsibility to read it, believe it, and rejoice in it. So when you come to the matters of divine sovereignty and human responsibility, you find, you find much that'll perplex your mind. But you'll find a whole lot that will comfort your heart. Now, these two verses, verses 13 and 14, bring to our attention salvation from God's side, divine sovereignty, and from man's side, our human responsibility. So if you look at it from God's side for a moment, you'll notice several things. Notice that God chose you and God chose me to salvation. Verse 13 says, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. God chose you. God picked you out. Why did God choose you? Why did he choose me? Why did he choose us to salvation? God chose us to be saved. You know, salvation is of the Lord. It's not anything that we have to do. It's God who takes the initiative in our salvation. We don't seek God initially. We don't. God seeks us. Remember the songwriter, he, sa he, he says, uh, He called me long before I heard, before my sinful heart was stirred. And when I took him at his word, redeemed, he lifted me. You see, it's God who calls us. Jesus said in John 15, 16, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. You see, salvation is of God's initiative. It answers three questions in this verse about God choosing us or our election by God, so to speak. It answers, first of all, why did God choose us? Why would God choose us to be saved? Well, he explains it to you in verse 13. It says, beloved of the Lord, God hath chosen you. You know, the why of God's choice of us is his love. See, God chose us because he loved us. The wonderful thing about the love of God is that God, who knows everything, knows everything, sees everything, he knows this inside and out. He knows all the good, but he knows all the bad. And in spite of that fact, that God knows all the bad in us, he still loves us. And isn't that wonderful that God loves us? God says, I've loved thee with an everlasting love. Somebody wrote 
Isn't it odd that a being like God who sees the facade still loves the clod he made out of sod? Now, isn't that odd? But that's the wonderful love of God, isn't it? You know, God proved his love in the cross. Romans 5, 8 says, but God commends. In other words, God proves he loved us first. He, God commends his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You never have to doubt whether or not God loves you. God proved his love by letting his son Jesus die on the cross for your sins. So he chose us because he loves us. Secondly, not only why did he choose us, but when did he choose us? Well, Ephesians 1, 4 says, According as he hath chosen us in him, ready, before the foundation of the world. He says, from the beginning chosen you. Before you were ever born, God chose you. Before you were ever born, God set his love on you. Charles Spurgeon said it well. He says, God surely must have chosen me before I was born because he never would have chosen me after I was born. Why did God choose us? Because he loves us. When did God choose us? From the beginning. Number three, how did God choose us? Well, he chose us through sanctification of the Spirit. Now, the word sanctification is a big word. It means to be set apart. He's talking about the setting apart work that the Holy Spirit does in your life. God sets you apart. The Holy Spirit sets you apart. You come to Christ because you're convicted of your, of your need of Christ. You are, you are only convicted of your need of Christ by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says in John 16, when, when he, now the he there, of course, is the Holy Spirit, when he has come, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment to come. The Holy Spirit is the great sheriff of heaven who comes and arrests the soul and brings it into the presence of God. There's a beautiful picture of the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Do you remember Mephibosheth? He was the little cripple boy. He was the son of Jonathan. And David wanted to do something good for the family of Jonathan. He found out about this little cripple boy. And one day, David's servant came knocking at the door of Mephibosheth. They took Mephibosheth and carried him into the presence of King David. King David said to him, I, I'm going to make you as one of my sons. You are going to sit at my table and feast. Well, friends, that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does. When the Holy Spirit makes us aware that we are lost, aware that we are sinners in need of a Savior, the Holy Spirit brings us into the presence of God of this universe. He chooses us through the sanctification of the Spirit. All of those things describe salvation from God's side, divine sovereignty. But as so often is the case in these, these very verses that talk about divine sovereignty, we also see there's a human responsibility. You see salvation from man's side. Now it says in verse 14, he called you by our gospel. Now this great work of salvation, which began in eternity, dips into time and shows us how in time God brings to pass that which he has ordained. Your salvation was ordained in eternity past. It is brought out in eternity present. 
And it says that he called you by our gospel, the wonderful call of God to a lost person, the wonderful call of God to a lost soul. And he does it by the gospel, by our good news, and by this message of salvation. Well, friends, that's been a, a good start to our studies today. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, I hope that everything uh, that is uh, good for you today, I want you to be safe in all that you do. Hey, know this pastor loves you, but most importantly, know Jesus loves you most. And by all means, Christians, we must be about the cause of Christ. We must be all about sharing Jesus with others. Amen? Amen. Well, friends, until tomorrow, Lord willing, we'll see you then. Bye-bye for now.